inside of uh, the bulletin, you're going to find uh, an outline that you can use as we go through the study this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray to get our hearts uh, continually ready to receive His Word. And let's pray at this point. Father, thank you for all the moments in which we are able to to be reflective and contemplative and at the same time to be demonstrative in our praise of you for the ways that you have blessed us for the awesomeness of your beauty and for all of the grace that comes into our life. And we pray, Father, that as we, we study this morning that we, will, uh, that we will diligently press our hearts into your word in such a way that it changes us. And so to this end, we ask, as we, we ask every day, Father, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, as we said last week, uh, we want to spend November looking at a couple of things that become stress points to us in December. And this is based on a study that was done last year, Goldman Sachs. Uh, their researchers found that out of all of the Americans that they had interviewed, 53% said that the biggest stress for them was spending. And a lot of us know what that's all about. Uh, you know, the, the Christmas blues come when the credit card bills are due. And 53% of, of America said that the number one stressor in their life was the crazy spending that happens at the end of the year. Uh, number two, 23% said that it was relationships. I mean, sometimes we just think of our families as just, and our, you know, our relationships during the holidays as just, it's just a crazy time for everybody to be under the same roof. And it's a stressor. It's, it's an anxious, it is a worrisome uh, period of time. I mean, your mother-in-law is coming to eat your food. Your father-in-law is going to come and he's going to sit in your favorite chair. I mean, it's just a stressful time. And then 23% of Americans said that it's all about gaining the weight. It's a crazy way we eat. We eat like crazy during the holidays. And I'm not going to bring up pumpkin pie or pecan pie, but you know what I'm talking about. So, December is a stressful month. So we're going to spend November getting ready for the stress of December. Last week we started talking a little bit about money, finances, those kinds of things. Uh, the next two weeks we're going to talk about relationships. But what we're talking about in November really goes beyond the holidays. It's about all of life. And as we talked about money, finances, resources, uh, generosity, all those kinds of things, the big idea that we talked about was this. The human heart functions best when it loves God above the rest. Let me say that again. The human heart functions best. That's the way you're supposed to operate, in loving God above the rest. When you think about it, money is such an unworthy rival to God. It is. It's an unworthy rival to God. We talk a lot about that God-shaped hole in our heart. You will never fill the God-shaped hole in your heart with anything that is shaped like dollar signs or anything that's not God-shaped. The challenge to us in, in, this, in, in this time of year, for a lot of us, is to not pursue, not to chase money, but the challenge is for us to pursue Christ. And you know, a funny thing happens when you begin to choose Christ, when you pursue Christ and begin to allow your life to uh, revolve around Him completely, you become a generous person. Now, I, I want to kind of go back into some ancient American history from about 200 years ago. Everybody familiar with Johnny Appleseed? 
Johnny Appleseed, right? Anybody over the age of uh, you know, 15 should know, right? Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed, I thought for the longest time, was a fiction. I thought he was a legend. I thought he was kind of this, 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 uh, this rural myth uh, of a fellow that was walking around you know, with a pot on top of his head. Turns out he is a bona fide human being by the name of John Chapman. He lived between 1770, 1840. No one is really sure when he died, what years specifically or even where. But he lived mostly in the Pennsylvania and Ohio area. And what he was known for, as his name, you know, the Johnny, I, you know, I always thought Johnny Appleseed was, uh, you know, who would name their kid Johnny Appleseed? He's got to be a fiction, right? But then you run into some kids whose uh, parents were hippies and, you know, you, you got some crazy names out there. Strawberry Field Smith, you know, uh, you got things like this going on. But he was famous for all of these orchards, not just apple seeds and apple trees, but apple orchards that he planted all over the Northeast and the Ohio Valley area. And so if you, you know, during that period of time, if you walked and you saw an apple orchard, one of the things that you, you assumed was that Johnny Appleseed had walked by. Now, one of the things that I did not know about Johnny Appleseed was that he was an incredibly devout Christian. Uh, lived uh, not an impoverished life, but lived at a level very much lower than his income, which allowed him to travel all over the place as sort of an itinerant preacher, at the same time being very generous with all the things he had been given, mainly being very generous with his knowledge and his expertise with creating these apple orchards, which would create incomes and food for people in uh, these, these different rural areas of the Ohio Valley and, and the Northeast. And he just, he just believed so deeply that when he would plant this seed in the ground, that there was his voice from heaven, the voice of God, that would say to the seed that had been planted, wake up and live. And a couple of decades ago, the Disney company put together a, a cartoon on the life of Johnny Appleseed. And at the beginning of the cartoon, when Johnny Appleseed's a young man, he, he sings a song for which he was very famous, and it, it's turned into a hymn. Now, before uh, we put the words up on the screen, this last Thursday morning, I go into the church office to talk about, you know, sometimes you need to run your illustrations by non-preacher types. So I go into the secretary's office, and I go, uh, you guys, are you very familiar with Johnny Appleseed? And Michelle Linscombe goes, oh, yeah, you're talking about John Chapman. Yeah, I used to teach him all the time in the public school. And I said, well, dynamite. I mean, that, that is, he's, he's this real-life person. Did you know he was a Christian? No. Did you know that there's this hymn that he created that's sung even to this day certain parts of the United States among certain religious groups? And before I could tell what the words were, Sharon Reese started singing it. And the words are up here on the screen. It's an it's a incredibly beautiful little song. Oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. You guys want to hear me sing it? Ah, dream on. <laughs> but what a great song. The Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain. And the apple seed, the Lord is good to me. Isn't that something that we say around here a lot? We say the Lord is good, amen. The Lord is good, the Lord is good, the Lord is good all the time. Amen, amen, amen. But we, do we believe that to the point that we're going to burst out in song about it? You know, generosity is a great thing because God is generous. But we live in a culture that challenges generosity. 
and to be generous, to talk about being a generous people, that challenges our conventional thinking. And our conventional thinking in our culture is this. The less you give away, the more you have. Meaning that the more you have, the better off you are. The natural tendency of a human being is to think that more stuff is great. But what is one of the first lessons we teach our kids? Share. Because their first words are what? Mine. Christian Smith, uh, uh, a, a very uh, important researcher, sociologist out of Notre Dame, a couple of years ago was doing some research across the United States on uh, generosity. And a Ph.D. candidate that was helping him with the research, Hillary Davidson, they published the book called The Paradox of Generosity, 2014. I want to read you a little quote out of that book. In the book, they write, Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move towards flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. The generosity paradox can also be stated in the negative. In holding on to what we possess, we diminish its long-term value to us. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. It is no coincidence that the word miser is etymologically related to the word miserable. Later in the book, they'll say, you know, everybody knows that you can't buy happiness. But think about this. They say happiness can be the result not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. Now, and they go on to talk about the paradoxes that are found in generosity as opposed to, you know, hoarding. And I, I'm not going to use their words. I'll use my own words. But here are some of the paradoxes, how, how they illustrate them. The first is abundance versus scarcity. People who are not generous deal with a lot of anxiety. They deal with a lot of anxiety from a worldview of the universe as a place of limited resources. That this place is not going to be able to support all of us, so I've got to get as much as I can and hold on to it. Whereas people who are generous tend to think of the universe as a place of abundance that I can give it away because it's going to be replaced somehow, some way in the future. Abundance versus scarcity. Number two, engagement versus disengagement. People who are not generous tend to have a distorted view of humans. Thinking of others, especially those that are in terms of income or income status are lower than them, they have a distorted view of humans thinking that others are after what they have. Therefore, put up the shields. Put up the walls. Whereas generous people are always thinking of others and how they might help them flourish and, 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 and be blessed in their life. Now, that's Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. You don't have to remember any of that stuff. What you do need to remember are the words of Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? Let's say it together. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now let's say it as people who the grace of God is just brimming over in our hearts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And here's the thing about disciples of Jesus. The motivation of a disciple to give is not what they will get in return, but what they have already received. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
we have been made rich already. We are already rich. Let me give you a couple of examples of how that happens. In, in Luke chapter 19, you have the famous story of Jesus and, and a, a short little fellow, chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. You know the story. Going through Jericho, the crowds are crowding around Jesus. Zacchaeus, who is kind of short, which I don't hold against him, he is wanting to see Jesus. And because of the crowds and because he's short, he has to climb up into a sycamore tree. Now, he is a chief tax collector. He is an incredibly wealthy person, maybe the wealthiest person outside of of uh, the, the, the king had a, a, a palace in Jericho, maybe outside of the king, wealthiest guy in all of Jericho. And he does the most undignified thing that you can imagine as a rich fella in the ancient Middle Eastern world. He climbs up into a tree so that he can see Jesus. And Jesus sees him, and you know the words of the song, right? Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, say it with me, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. Now imagine that. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I need, I'm going to your house today and I'm going to eat with you. That's what Jesus does to Zacchaeus. But after Zacchaeus has spent the day with Jesus, notice what he says in verse 18. Look, Lord, right now, here and now, in this moment, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will give, four, give back four times the amount. He felt like he had been made rich. Another example, in Exodus chapter 25, the people of Israel have been taken, liberated out of their slavery, emancipated out of Egypt. And Moses is talking to them about the place in which God is going to dwell with them. And in, and in this outburst of, of thanksgiving and, and uh, gratitude for all that God has done for them in securing their place in the world, there is in Exodus 20, uh, 35 this tremendous outpouring of, of riches and wealth and possessions in order to make the tabernacle of God this glorious place. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, will, and, and, your, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What Paul is giving to us is the generosity principle that every person who has ever drawn near to God and God to them has experienced. And the generosity principle is this. We are enriched in every way so that we can be generous all the time. We have been enriched in every way so that we can be generous all the time. And that's why greed and the ungenerous spirit has to be challenged in us on a daily basis. Now, as I mentioned last week, Jesus teaches a lot about this stuff, the place of God and the place of money, the worth of God and the worth of stuff. And one of the most memorable is in Luke chapter 12 in this parable he tells about the rich fool and the, and the bigger barns. And the story begins with, with kind of a wisdom statement. And the wisdom statement is this, watch out. Open your eyes. You know, be, on the, be on the alert. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let me say it again. Jesus is really wanting them to get their eyes open. And he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that's how the parable begins. parable begins, Jesus tells the story, there's a rich fellow. I mean, he's already wealthy. He's a wealthy fellow, he's a rich fellow, he has a bumper crop, has a, a, a bumper harvest, 
and it is so big that he doesn't have enough space to store it all in. And so he decides, because the possibility of sharing with others what God has given him never really enters into his thinking, he tears down all of those big barns, builds bigger barns, and fills them up, and then he falls into the conventional human thinking that says the less you give away, the more you have, and the more you have, the better off you are. And in building those bigger barns, in order to keep it and to spend it on himself, he says, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to eat, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry. And everybody is thinking, man, that guy has it made. And Jesus says, no, but you know, God calls him a fool. Not because he's rich, but because he's confused. He thinks his life consists in the abundance of possessions. And here's the irony. In the end, everyone gets his stuff. It all gets given away. But it's not because he's generous. It's given away because he's dead. And Jesus ends the parable saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now this is why we have to challenge the tendency to toward ungenerosity in ourselves. And that calls for a plan. And it's here that I want to give you a definition. It's it's not the greatest definition in the world, but it says two important things. The definition of generosity is this. Generosity is the predetermined and random acts of giving to bless others as we have been blessed. Generosity is the predetermined. A book on generosity by willard and shepherd i'm going to steal a line here from them generosity has predetermined because a good strategy they say is better than good intentions and so we can talk a good fight about being generous with our lives but until we have a predetermined plan there is a way that we have set uh, in motion the mechanics of being generous with what we've been blessed with not just with our money but with everything it you know it doesn't get very far on good intentions So generosity is going to be the predetermined as well as the random. Man, sometimes you're just driving down the road or you're walking down the street or you get a phone call or you run into somebody or you hear about something and it just just gets a hold of your heart. And you want to do something about it and you have the means to do it. And because you have the means to do it, you have the ability and the availability to use those means in a way to bless other people. And so generosity is not, you know, everybody gives, right? I mean, we all give. But generosity is making a predetermined, pre-decided uh, way of using our money, in, whether it's, it, it's in, a, in a set budget way or in a random way, to bless people with what we've been given. And so let me give you the three-point plan to challenge greed, and we're done. First is this. Adopt the generosity principle, which says... We are enriched in every way in order to be generous all the time. So we need to sit down. I mean, you know, you don't have to do anything other than first step, just sit down with a piece of paper and just and just think just it's reflective time. It's contemplative time. It's it's a time to think about all the ways that God has enriched your life. And it's not a five-minute thing. I mean, you just don't sit there and, okay, I have uh, ten ways in which God has made me rich because you're much richer than ten different ways in God. 
you sit there and you think and you think and you write down and you make the list and you just ask the question, how, how, how? You pray to God to, to open your eyes to see how He's enriched your life in every area of your life. And you know that you're getting to the end when you want to just start singing about the goodness of God like Johnny Appleseed. Sit down and write it out and just think about it and think about it and think about it until you just start humming, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. So you adopt the generosity principle. Number two, prioritize the generosity principle. This is where you say, this this generosity principle, I believe it's true, I'm going to prioritize it in my life. Now, for most Americans, we operate with our money like this. We consume first. We consume first. We save if it's possible and we give what's left, which is usually not a lot. Now, if you're going to prioritize the generosity principle, you've got to reverse the typical way that we think about money, which is this. You give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. And then number three, enjoy the generosity principle. Now, this is where it gets a lot of fun. What you do, you, you have pre-decided what it is that you what it, who it is and what it is that you want to bless. And there are really kind of two ways that you do this. One way you decide on where you would like to, to bless people and, and to help them thrive is what is it that breaks your heart? I mean, sometimes you see something on the news, something you read on the paper, you hear about it at church. I mention it when the elders or, or staff ministers mentions it. There's something that we hear about that you hear about, and it just breaks your heart. And you say, you know what? I may not be able to go in that place, or I may not be able to be there physically, but I can do something i can i can give to that organization or i can give to that person and i can help them do the work of god because that really breaks my heart and i just can't sit here and do nothing i got to give to something and that's where you begin to enjoy the generosity principle because now you're beginning to not just love god and love people but now you're beginning to change the world and not only do you decide on that which breaks your heart but you decide on that which you're thankful for man you might you, you know you might be really thankful for, for your school or your kids' school. Or you might be thankful for an organization that has helped you get to the place where you are right now. You can be generous not only with the things that break your heart, but you can be generous with the things that you're really thankful for, that have blessed your kids, that have blessed your family, that have blessed your relatives, that have blessed you. And you can be generous with that which is, is breaking your heart and that which, which makes your heart sing. And then you just start being generous. You enjoy the generosity principle. You just start being generous with everything that you have. You know, it really comes down to what you believe about Jesus. If we believe that He is the smartest, the most capable person who ever lived, then I think it's prudent to listen to what He says about life. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. In John chapter 10, He says that He came in order for people who put their faith in Him to have a real life to have an abundant life, to have a full life, to have an, an, an eternal, never-ending, full-to-the-hilt kind of life. And he also said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then one day, in his 
generous love, He gave the ultimate gift of His own life. He took on our poverty in order for us to take on His riches. He was crucified for our sins. He took our guilt so that we might get His righteousness. And He was buried for three days. And then there was this voice from heaven, a voice from God that said to the seed that had died and had been buried, wake up and live. And that's the reality that we live in. We live in a reality in which we have been made rich in every way so that we can be generous in all things every day on every occasion to the glory of God. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Which one, is it is it this one right here? Thank you. 